Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. The program is podcast. So if nature calls, as you knocks on your door, your local drug dealer turns up and wants his money or her money, don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You know what anarchy is all about? Simple concept. You don't need a PhD in politics or even a, even need to go to school. Anarchos without rulers. What's the central issue confronting anarchists? How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power, you share wealth. How do you devolve power? Through creating institutional structures which are based on direct democratic principles which allow people affected by a decision to make that decision and elect or appoint recallable delegates to coordinates those decisions at a, region, at a local, regional or national level. It's a society where wealth is held in common. So if you want to become a billionaire, this is not the program for you. Move on. If you're a religious fundamentalist and you want to cut off heads, and this is not the program for you. But otherwise, if you're 99.9999% of the population, the anarchist world this week could just be the program you need to think about, not listen to. You don't need to do anything, do you? You can turn it off, turn the radio off. Also, welcome to our listeners across Australia, north to south, east to west, up and down, and all those listening on the World Wide Web. Now, just, you know, what I love, what I love about the corporate world and privatisation is how disgusting these people are. Remember the old slogan, socialism from the grey cradle to the grave? What we've now got is corporate capitalism from the cradle to the grave. But corporate capitalism, which is based on publicly funded welfare, corporate welfare, It's extraordinary what's happened in this country and the rest of the world over the last four decades during the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation revolution, which we have all been part of. We've seen the privatisation and the corporatisation of some of the most basic needs in any population. And one basic need, as we know, is childcare. And another basic need at the end of life is nursing care or nursing home care. And we now have a situation where the government of the day has outsourced the provision of childcare and nursing home care to the private sector. And the great thing about when you're involved in nursing home care is you've got a lot of people who've got a lot of money And if you can divest them of their money before they shuffle off to the other worlds, you can make a big buck, a giant buck. And what we've seen 
is a small number of corporations which now have moved into the nursing home sector buying out not-for-profit nursing homes, some religious-based, some non-religious-based, and creating huge empires. It is the business of the moment. It will be the business for the next 20 to 30 to 40 years with an ageing population and a dislocated society where generations obviously don't live together. The care of the elderly is big business. And when you add the billions of dollars of taxpayer money paid through as subsidies to these privately owned corporate nursing home companies like Regis Aged Care and Japara Aged Care, which are some of the biggest names in the business, you can see that this is a very, very, very profitable industry. And any of you who are old enough to be looking at private care in a nursing home, you've got a little bit of resources, you may have been shocked by the size of the contract you need to sign for your elderly relatives or family or friends before they can enter these privately owned, corporate-dominated aged care facilities. The contracts are extraordinarily complex, and if you think there's small print on a telephone contract, think again. Now, yes, on Friday, a few days ago, Judge Deborah Mortimer of the Federal Court made a historic decision. The judge said that many of these corporations were placing levies on on, um, residents which had no justification in law. In other words, in plain English, what it means is these corporations had been putting their hands in residents' pockets illegally, taking out money for services, in inverted commas, they had no right to claim. Now, I'm only familiar with two of the major corporations, Regis and Japara, and they were charging $15,000 deaf or leaving fees for asset refurbishment. That means if you died or you left to go somewhere else, you would be charged $15,000 so they could refurbish your room or your unit in that aged care facility. Now, there are other organisations, other corporations in the nursing home industry, and it is an industry dominated by a small number of corporate players. There was a built-in fee in the contracts between $16 to $18 a day 
to pay for future projects. So we were seeing some, not all, but some of the nursing home providers putting their hand in a resident's pocket every day, taking out 16 to $18 to actually pay for future expansion of that facility for services that particular resident would never see. So unfortunately for them, although they've known since 2016 that things weren't quite kosher as far as these fees was concerned, unfortunately for them, with the federal court decision which was handed down last Friday, they will have to refund tens of millions of dollars to residents who are still alive and the families of residents who've died. Now this is just one little issue. One little issue. There are huge issues when essential services and I see nursing home care for elderly people who've contributed to the community all their lives, who now find themselves in a situation in the last few years of their life where they can't physically look after themselves and need care and don't have the finances to have care at home or cannot access packages for care or don't have family or friends to care for them or have the ability to care for them, you would think that this would be a federal government responsibility, that you wouldn't hand it over lock, stock and barrel to privately owned corporations whose major responsibility is to their major shareholders to create ever-increasing profits irrespective of the cost to those residents of those facilities. I don't particularly blame the corporations... I don't blame them. They've seen a business opportunity. They moved in. That's their, that's their job. Make a buck. Make a buck. Irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national consequences. Make a buck. That's the reason, raison d'etre, for a corporation. It's about making money for your major shareholders. And if you provide a service accidentally as you're making that buck, well and good. And if you don't, bad luck. I don't blame them. I blame governments of all political hues which have never con- contemplated the idea of actually running, nursing, building and running nursing homes themselves as part of the care package to elderly people who've worked most of their lives, paid taxes, contributed to the country and for them to be shunted into these (coughs) corporate factories, corporate residential factories, is a blight on us for allowing governments to pursue these policies. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week. (coughs) There we are, coughing again. Broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Now, I'd like to thank all those people who turned up to the Ellen Jose Memorial Foundation Barbecue at Herring Island to uh, remember Ellen, have a look at one of the major sculptures in Herring Island, which she uh, did. It's good to see so many people there and obviously our next major activity 
will be Marbo Day, which is Sunday the 3rd of June. I'll keep you informed about what we've got uh, planned for that day. Obviously, we'll have the uh, ceremony we normally have in Federation Square here in Melbourne between midday and 1pm, but I'm hoping to organise something between 2 and 5 in the afternoon, maybe some type of uh, entertainment. So keep your ears and eyes open for the activities for Marbo Day, Sunday the 3rd of June. And Marbo Day... Bookends Reconciliation Week, which begins with uh, Sorry Day and ends with uh, Marbo Days. I'd also like to thank all those people who came to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest uh, Congress. It was the kick in the pants that um, the organisation required. We're now moving forward. Apologies to Julia Gillard. I think one of the worst slogans ever in political history, moving forward. And uh, hopefully uh, within the next six months we'll be able to apply for registration as a federal political party. But obviously we still need new members. We need about another 190 members on the electoral roll. You you don't have to be on the electoral roll to be a member, but it is helpful to be on the electoral roll because then we can use your membership as one of the numbers to uh, try to obtain registration as a federal political party. So if you're interested in joining public interest before corporate interest, it's very simple. Have a look at the Constitution. Have a look at the application form. You can download an application form from Info. Sorry, you can download an application form pibci.net, pibci.net. You can give me a call on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. Leave a contact name and address or you can uh, write to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052 and we'll send you out a heap of application form for those millions of friends you have who keep talking about somebody doing something about that or somebody should do something about that or they're going to do this and they're going to do that. Well, we are the people we've been waiting for. You can't rely on the Gunner tribe or somebody should do something about that tribe. Huge tribes in Australia, but not very productive. So this is your chance to become involved in this particular group, which I'm convener of or secretary of, public interest before corporate interests. And a new initiative which was launched at the Congress was the Eight-Pointed Star Movement. All right. Why an eight-pointed star? Well, the Eureka Star is one of the few few stars that has eight points. And the eight points that we are particularly, particularly interested in a universal living wage, public utilities, public housing, public health, public education, treaty, abolishing corporate welfare, community worker-run cooperatives, animal welfare, and uh, climate change, obviously. So these are central issues, central issues. So hopefully we'll have something out in the next few weeks regarding the uh, eight-pointed star movement, which is an initiative of public interest before corporate interest. And talking about initiatives for public interest before corporate interest, defending and extend public housing, was established by public interest before corporate interest when we were approached by the public housing sector. Well, sections of the public housing sector about the destruction of public housing in this country 
And uh, if you're listening to this program in Melbourne on Wednesday the 7th of March, I invite you to attend the rally on the steps of Parliament House midday to about 1.30pm. It's a parliamentary sitting day. That's Wednesday the 7th of March. Come and join us. Uh, it's in Spring Street, you all know that, so come and join us. If you can't make that day, the next rally will be on Wednesday the 11th of April. And if you can't make that and you want to look at when the rallies are, you can always go to the Defend and Extend Facebook page. And, and we run a public housing campaign, not because... Public housing is not just about emergency accommodation and homelessness. Public housing is about the state providing housing at a reasonable rental in a reasonably secure location for people who will never be able to buy in the private marketplace. And if you look at the figures over the last decade, fewer and fewer Australians own their own home outright, even amongst the over-65s who've worked all their lives Outright home ownership rates are about 55%, while in the mid-40s, outright home ownership rates are around 5%. Now, currently, we've got a very overheated uh, housing market, and if interest rates rise by about 2%, living in a society where there's no wage rises because of constant influx of new people to soak up these job, the, uh, any new jobs that are created, it's going to be pandemonium. Because people need to find two, three, four hundred extra dollars a week just to service the mortgage. And those of us who are old enough will remember when more interest rates are up to 17%. That's for mortgages. It's just extraordinary, extraordinary. So the public housing campaign is about creating a strong, viable public housing sector. And you create a strong... If you create a strong, viable public housing sector, it sets up competition in the marketplace. What that means in plain English is that it forces investors out of the private rental market, which means that rents will decrease as the number of public houses increases because there'll be fewer people wanting to rent privately. And housing prices at the lower end of the market will also drop, as fewer people will need to try to get into the uh, property market at the lower end and go bankrupt. So we are currently involved in a campaign in Victoria to defend and extend public housing, and you can do the same campaign anywhere in Australia. It's very easy. Go to the Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia, We're trying to place maximum pressure on both the government and the opposition in Victoria to make public housing a central, pivotal election issue for the election which will be held in Victoria on the 24th of November this year. Pivotal, central issue. Unfortunately to date, there's been little interest, not just in registered political parties but in the um, people as a whole, there's been very little interest because people see public housing as a housing of last resort, the type of house housing that's required if you're uh, in a difficult uh, situation. Well, public housing should be that. And how do we finance it? It's very simple. Every state levies stamp duty on properties that are sold. 
If the money which is raised by stamp duty collection, which was over $6 billion last year in Victoria, is earmarked for public housing, you could in Victoria house a million people in public housing within a decade. You don't even need a huge building program. You can actually use that money to purchase properties all over regional Victoria and rural areas as well as uh, major capital cities and major regional centres. It's a very simple concept, very simple. Public housing should be publicly owned and publicly managed. We shouldn't be supporting the initiatives of the current uh, Victorian State Labor government and the current uh, Liberal Party, National Party opposition to privatise what's left of the public housing sector. Less than 2.5% of Victorians currently live in public housing. That's less than 65,000 people. Just an extraordinarily small number because the public housing sector has basically been squeezed out of existence as more and more people are forced in the private rental market. And if you look at the figures... They're quite extraordinary. They are quite extraordinary. Uh, Almost 40% of Australians are now renting. Of those 40%, most will never be able to own their own home. Less than 22% own their own home outright and everybody else is, uh, you know, uh, doing a tango with the banks trying to pay off their mortgage before interest rates escalate. So come and join us for the Defend and Extend Public Housing campaign. I said before, this is a campaign that should interest all Victorians. So the next rally is on Wednesday the 7th of March, which is a parliamentary sitting day, midday. If you can't make that, there's Wednesday the 11th of April. And if you live in the state, why don't you organise a, a rally on the steps of Parliament House on the same issue? And the list goes on and on. So just go to the webpage... Sorry, the uh, Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia. So, have you noticed? Have you noticed that you're listening to the Anarchist World this week? I'm sure you have. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. The program is streaming live on 3cr. Dot org dot au. Yes, we still answer letters. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can send public messages to 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Now, a few overseas issues... Uh, one, both of them very close to our hearts. One, we can get involved. The other one, you're a mere spectator. I'm a spectator. Now, you like the word National Supervision Commission? You like that? National Supervision Commission? How about the three-word phrase, Dictator for Life? constitutional scrap of paper? Well, we've seen historic changes that have been passed within the Chinese Communist Party Congress where our current president, Mr Z, likes what he sees in North Korea and he would like to be dictator for life.
And the Chinese Communist Party Congress has said, that's okay. That's all right. It's okay, mate. You can be dictator for life. You can be head of the Chinese armed forces, not just a figurehead, but the actual head of the Chinese armed forces. And in order to ensure that the dissatisfaction, the general dissatisfaction and concerns about having a dictator for life, which is occurring in China today as the Chinese Communist Party does its best to censor what type of internet they have there, they are now going to form a National Supervision Commission which will be beyond the law and beyond the Chinese Constitution. This National Supervision Commission will be able to arbitrarily arrest and detain anybody they believe could pose a threat to the dictator for life. Not a physical threat, but a political threat. And the beauty about the National Supervision Commission, it's also going to have authority regarding people's behaviour. So if transgender people kind of become passe, well, you could arrest them and hold them in prison. Extraordinary, isn't it? But that's what you expect from a centralised Chinese Communist Party. That's the way it goes. We're anarchists. We're about egalitarianism without the authoritarianism. The Chinese Communist Party is about the Chinese Communist Party. Mr Z is about Mr Z. That's the that's why if he wasn't, maybe he wouldn't have a national supervision commission. So what it does is basically reduce the constitution to a scrap of paper. Now we in Australia are all familiar with that concept of the constitution being just a scrap of paper. I mean, as far as the Australian constitution is concerned, you know, it is a scrap of paper. This is the Australian constitution. That's what's happened. You tear it up, means nothing. Because the Australian constitution basically regulates the relationship between the central government, which is the federal government, and the states. There's nothing about human rights in the Australian Constitution. The state giver, the state taketh away. That's why we can pass legislation, a.k.a. Chinese Communist Party form, you know, where refugees can be held indefinitely, legally, although they don't face any charges. Where people who are perceived to be a possible threat Security can be detained and questioned for over two weeks. All legal, of course. Because there's no protection for the individual from the, from the arbitrary exercise of state power. So, in essence, the Australian Constitution really isn't worth the paper it's written on. I've tried to use it as toilet paper, but it's a bit rough. That's the government printing Australian Constitution. I mean, what's the point of having a constitution if it really it doesn't protect people from the arbitrary exercise of state power? There's no point at all. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, have you heard the big push? 
the big push you all know is to decrease corporate tax rates. That's the big push. We need to decrease corporate tax rates. Not that many corporations actually pay tax. One third of corporations last financial year didn't pay any tax legally. See, the beauty about living in Australia is you don't have to do anything illegal if you're a corporation. Maybe if you're a small taxpayer, you do. But if you're a large corporation, you can do it all legally. Because, you see, in certain countries, you bribe politicians to pass legislation which is friendly for you. It's called the capture of state power, as we've seen in South Africa over the last decade or so. You know, it's called capturing the state, the private sector. But in Australia, they don't even bother to bribe our politicians. They don't have to bribe our politicians because we never see. Being part of a you know, stable two-party system, we actually never see legislation which threatens the profitability of large transnational corporations. We never see it. It doesn't exist. It's not on the agenda. So they don't have to bribe our politicians. Just an extraordinary state of affairs. But let's get back to this tax reform. So the big push, if you look at the corporate-owned media and to a lesser degree the government guild at ABCs, we need to decrease corporate tax rates. If we don't decrease corporate tax rates, unemployment will increase. The poor boys and girls in the corporate world are paying too much tax. They're paying much too much tax in order to be competitive with their foreign neighbours who pay people a dollar an hour. With our foreign neighbours, we need not only to keep a lid on wages, we actually need to decrease wages and rip off people's rights and conditions. We need to do that. So in order to do that, we need to decrease corporate tax rates. And everywhere you look, every commentator... Every corporate commentator, every corporate media commentator will say what a great thing it'll be when corporate tax rates are reduced. There'll be increased jobs, increased wages, a la baloo, there'll be more money to go around. They forget to tell us there'll be more money to go around for chief executives and obviously major shareholders. But as far as mum and dads are concerned, well, you're not on that equation. You know, you're the person at the bottom of the table waiting for the crumbs to be brushed away in your direction, aren't you? So, there's this huge push. The Liberal National Party, it's going to be its central central feature for the next federal election. It's going to be corporate tax cuts. We need to decrease corporate tax cuts so we can compete Overseas, we can increase wages, we can increase employment, we can bring, we can make, you know, we can bring heaven to earth through corporate tax cuts. Now, look, I'm a very simple person, and obviously, listening to the anarchist world this week, you must be simple too. I'm, I'm surprised you're not undergoing involuntary psychiatric uh, incarceration if you listen to the anarchist world this week. But What are they going to do to ensure that there's enough money to run the state, enough money to run the government, enough money to provide the services which people expect from a government like public education, public health, public infrastructure? Well, guess what? This push 
for a decrease in company tax rates is accompanied by a push to increase the goods and services tax from 10% to 15%. And the beauty of a goods and services tax is that you, people on disability support pensions, old age pensions, single parents, benefits, new start allowance, you will make up the shortfall while the corporation's profitability increases. You will make up the shortfall. Just an extraordinary debate, in inverted commas. How extraordinary that in order to make up the shortfall, you would introduce a, you would increase the goods and services tax. Now, those of you who are old enough to remember when Mr Howard introduced the goods and services tax to the Australian people and they voted for it in an election, the big thing was, you know, the big thing was the reason the goods and services tax was introduced was there wasn't enough money to pay for essential services in the government coffers because the corporate world was paying voluntary taxation. So they introduced some type of tax where everybody paid the tax. Because you've got to remember in a goods and services tax, business say, well, we pay the goods and service tax. But what they don't tell you is they may pay the goods and services tax, but they actually claim it as a tax deduction. That's right. It's claimed as a tax deduction, so they're actually not paying the goods and services tax. So the people who are paying the goods and services tax are people on social security benefits, people on low incomes. They're the ones who are carrying the system. They carry the taxation system. They provide the resources to provide the basic necessities of life. So next time you hear some hero or heroine or whatever you like to call them these days talk about the goods, you know, the corporate tax rate, always ask them about what they think about the goods and services tax and their eyes will light up and they'll say, well, obviously it needs to be increased. Now, I'm disappointed. The weather's good, so I shouldn't be disappointed, should I? I'm reasonably healthy, I think, so I shouldn't be disappointed, should I? I'm talking to you. And you can't talk back. I shouldn't be disappointed, should I? But I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed regarding a lot of uh, activists and radicals and reformists and, you know, whatever out there who continue to use the word welfare. Now, welfare in our society is a derogatory term. It has been made into a derogatory term. It's about putting a few cents in somebody's, you know, cup or bucket or hat. That's what welfare is about. We don't have a welfare system in this country, as the Prime Minister talks about, the opposition leader talks about, many radical activists talk about, you know, commentators talk about, and the government-owned government-gilded-abc and the corporate-owned media. We don't have a welfare system. We have a social security system. And if you look at the legislation, it's about a social security system. And we're not customers. 
has Social Security likes to label us and they've been asked and they've been forced through legislation to talk to people who come into Centrelink offices as customers. We're citizens and residents with rights and responsibilities, okay? We're not bloody corporate customers. Centrelink's not a customer-focused organisation. It's an organisation there which provides social security services and benefits theoretically to people. So a social security system is a two-way street. It's not a one-way street where people are doled out, you know, the basic necessities and told to get on their way. It's a two-way street. Any society that doesn't have a social security system faces dislocation in terms of increasing crime rates, increasing family violence, personal dislocation. Because what a social security system is, provides a guarantee, not only the individuals who may find themselves in a temporary difficult situation, but it provides a guarantee to society as a whole that we are all part of that society and that for social cohesion to occur and that's a fancy word for say to decrease levels of violence in a community you ensure that everybody's included not just a small minority so we have a social security system. You can talk about entitlements, social security entitlements, but the next big issue, as we've discussed on this program for over for decades, is the idea of a universal living wage. A universal living wage for everybody living on this continent and the isles, islands around this continent, which is known as Australia. A universal living wage, with increased mechanisation and less need for unskilled and semi-skilled labour in order to maintain social cohesion, we need to be seriously discussing the concept of a universal living wage, which ensures that every individual in society have the, has the capacity to look after themselves. And with a universal living wage, it gives people who find themselves in economic bonded together through economic necessity the ability to break out of unsatisfactory relationships because they've got that financial independence for an independent living wage. You right? A universal living wage. Think about it. The next big issue on the horizon. Listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, sometimes I wonder, I really wonder, you know. Now, those of you who are regular listeners to the radio program know that I'm the convener for the West Papuan office here in Melbourne. And the West Papua independence struggle has been going on for over 60 years. And there continues to be sporadic armed resistance in West Papua, as well as a huge diplomatic effort by West Papuan activists to secure independence for West Papua from the Indonesian government. Now, over the last 
for almost four years, we have been providing, we've set up a collective to pay the rent for the West Papuan office, which acts as a de facto embassy in this country, for the West Papuan independence movement. And every four months we have a gathering of members of that collective. And as any collective, people lose interest, they die, they move on. So we're always looking for new members for the West Papuan Rent Collective because without the West Papuan Rent Collective, the West Papuan office would not open. They'd have to move. They'd be evicted. Now, this office has been instrumental in being able to organise a diplomatic offensive in order to raise the issue of West Papuan independence in the United Nations. And they've made great strides over the last three years in that particular struggle. Now, the West Papuan Rent Collective does not tell the West Papuan movement what to do. We pay the rent for the office, so that frees them up as activists to become fully involved in that independence struggle. Now, the next West Papuan Open Day, Office Open Day, will be on Sunday the 8th of April. That's Sunday the 8th of April. That's just after Easter. At 1pm, there'll be a Papuan lunch. 2pm, Dr Eben Kirksey will be talking about West Papua and social justice. Now, it'll be held in the boardroom at 838 Collins Street, Docklands, in Melbourne. Now, the West Papuan office is in Level 2, 838 Collins Street, in Docklands, but having an office there gives us the opportunity to use the boardroom to hold functions like the West Papuan Open Day. So the West Papuan Open Day is on Sunday the 8th of April, and all members of the West of the Rent Collective should receive an invitation within the next two weeks. And hopefully you'll be able to turn up because what happens sometimes is, so what what do you have to do to join the Wren Collective? Do you have to, you know, swear allegiance to the Queen of England? No. What you need to do is you need to save a dollar a day. A dollar a day. You can pay monthly, you can pay yearly. A dollar a day. A dollar a day would be one less coffee or two less coffees in a week. That's seven dollars. That's cheap these days. So for a dollar a day, you can actually support the West Papua independence struggle. And remember, West Papua is 76 kilometres from Australia. I'll repeat that again. 76 kilometres. There are fewer than 1.9 West Papuans, 1.9 million West Papuans in West Papua. And through an extended transmigration program, West Papuans are soon going to become minority in their own country. Over 500,000 West Papuans have died from a population of a little little, uh, under 2 million. 500,000 have died over directly, indirectly, as a result of this independence struggle. Many West Papuan activists continue to languish in in Indonesian jails. Many are summarily executed, their bodies turning up all over the place. So this is one chance 
that you have to make a real difference. Because this West Papuan office is not about welfare. It's about providing a focus via which that independent struggle can be carried out for the good of all West Papuans. Now, if you want to try before you buy, you're welcome to attend the West Papuan Open Day. It'll be about three hours. You get a lunch by Dap Power Sampati, guest speaker, Dr. Eben Kirksky, catching up on the West Papua, and, uh, wow, Timor Coffee and Papuan Biscuits. Looks good. Now, I've got an invitation here in my little hand, and I'm quite happy to send out invitations to people. But you don't need an invitation, just turn up. 1pm, Papuan Lunch, Sunday the 8th of April, Boardroom 838 Collins Street, Docklands. 838 Collins Street, Docklands. Now, if you want to join the West Papua Wren Collective, give me a call on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Or you can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Or you can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can donate anonymously. It's very simple to be a member of the West Papua Rent Collective. You put in your money, that's it. You can do it anonymously. A dollar a day, 30 bucks a month, 365 days for a year, 366 in a leap year. And... Through those resources, it's not about providing welfare, in inverted commas, or personal assistance. It's about paying the rent for an office for the West Papuan community in Australia to use, to promote, to organise West Papuan, the West Papuan independent movement independence movement across around the world so i encourage you and if you have been a member and you've kind of forgotten to put in your money now's the time to put in that money now i could tell you stories like say well if we don't get any money the west Papua office is going to close in the next few months well, i could tell you that but why need why do i need to tell you that this is an extraordinarily important initiative extraordinarily important 76 kilometres from the Australian coast. Think about it. Think about it. Listen to the Anarchist World this week. Broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au, 3cr.org.au. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. A few web pages to look at. You can look at the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest webpage, download the application form to become a member from pibci.net. You can go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. You can go to the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee Facebook page, see what's going on there. You can go to my own personal Facebook page where I try to incorporate all the activities on Toscano for the public. The, Toscano, the number four the public. You can go to the Anarchist Media Institute 
webpage, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org. You can go to the West Papuan Department, of, you know, the West Papuan Independence Movement webpage, and the list goes on and on and on and on. It's really up to you. Now, those of you who've been coming to the Wednesday night dinners at the Conjo Ethiopian Restaurant at 20 Smith Street, Collingwood, keep coming. The dinners have been going on now for over six months. They continue to go on every Wednesday night, 6pm to about 9.30pm, occasionally to 10pm. Good company. Bit of a laugh. People get together. You know that horrible word, network. They're there. Join us tonight, Wednesday, the 7th of March. Wednesday, the 14th of March. Wednesday, the 21st of March. Wednesday, the 28th of March. And the list goes on and on. Conjo Ethiopian Restaurant, if you're in Melbourne, 20 Smith Street, Collingwood. You don't need to ring. You don't need to book. You just turn up and you look for the ugly pe- the table with the ugly people, and that's us, okay? Come and join us. Conjo Ethiopian Restaurant, 20 Smith Street, Collingwood. Now's the perfect time. Perfect weather. Beginning of autumn. You can't get better weather than the beginning of autumn in the city of Melbourne. Now, I need help. (laughs) No, not urgent psychiatrically help. You need that because you're listening to the Anarchist World this week. I personally need help. Now, I... I like to listen to my political leaders, you know. I'm that type of bloke, you know. I just I like to listen and I like to help. I really like to help. I'd like to help. Now, Mr Tudge is the Federal Minister for Citizenship. You like that? Citizenship. And Mr Tudge is concerned that a lot of immigrants don't speak the Queen's English. And in order to integrate in society, you need to be able to speak the Queen's English. And once they, when they attempted last year to introduce legislation for a university, you like that, university-level English test for new citizenship, new citizens, it kind of got flicked out of the Senate. So Mr Tudge is going to do it again. He's going to try to get some new legislation through Parliament where he claims that we need to speak the Queen's English in order to become a citizen. Could you imagine creating a society of permanent residents who will never have the opportunity to become citizens? But that's a different story. But what I really need help about is not only do they need to speak the Queen's English, they need to demonstrate commitment to Australian values. You like that? Demonstrate commitment to Australian values. I've never seen a list of Australian values in the Australian Constitution. Look, isn't Australian value to dispossess people and rape them and rob them and steal their land? Is that an Australian value? I don't know. Is is it an Australian value to sacrifice your sons to fight other people's wars in other people's lands? Is that an Australian value? Hmm? Is it an Australian value 
to allow the corporate world to pull the parliamentary strings, to turn parliament into a puppet theatre? Is that an Australian value? Is it an Australian value to hold people indefinitely on Nauru and Manus Island for having the audacity to claim political asylum? And although they've many have been demonstrated to be refugees, they will never be able to come to this country. Is that an Australian value? Is it an Australian value to promote racism? Hmm? We did have the white Australia policy. That was very Australian for many, many years. Is it an Australian value to give people a fair go while you dismantle all the institutional structures which are required to give people a fair go? Hmm? Is it an Australian value to arbitrarily detain people because they may, may pose a future threat? Is it an Australian value to have a corporate-owned media which dominates every aspect of the way people think in this country? So I'm confused. Now, I would like to see what you think those Australian values are. And I haven't got time to answer the phone, so email me. Your Australian values from anarchistage at yahoo.com. Post them up on the Facebook page, Toscano for the Public. Send me a list on Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for those Australian values. I am really waiting, and I somehow think that values are universal but maybe that's unpopular these days. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. If you want to sue me, good. I need the, I need the exposure in court. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week. Listen in to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network.